Welcome to the Coming Out of the Dark Bible Study with Pastor John. Tonight's study will be in the book of Titus. We invite you to join us at 514 Smithfield Avenue in Pawtucket, Rhode Island. This podcast is presented by The Way Ministries, supported by listeners like you. For donations, live videos, podcasts, and more, please visit www.thewayministriesri.org. Thank you and have a great day. Welcome to the Coming Out of the Dark Bible Study. I want to thank everyone for coming out tonight to get a portion of God's Word. Amen? Amen. First and foremost, I'd like to thank our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ for making all this possible for us. Going to the cross, becoming obedient unto death as the final sacrifice for our sins so we can be made right with God in His sight as all who believe in Him. Amen? Amen? Thank you, Jesus, for saving us. And doing for us what we could never ever do for ourselves. Amen? Amen. I'd like to thank the Smithfield Avenue Congregational Church for letting us do our study in their facility. One body. Many parts. Many parts. I'd like to thank all the faithful people that served so faithfully in our ministry to keep it going. We all need each other for this to function properly. Amen? Amen. So we definitely need your support. If you have a cell phone, please silence it so it doesn't disturb tonight's study. And we'll start it off with a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, Abba, we're just so grateful and thankful that you allowed us another awesome opportunity to gather together as your family to worship, honor, and glorify you, Lord, and learn about you, Lord, and let your ways become our ways, Lord, as we go through our lives, Lord, as we learn about your word and apply it to our lives, Lord. Help us to become humble and teachable, like clay in your hands, Lord, so you can mold us and shape us into the people you saved us to be, Lord, like your Son, the Lord and Savior, Lord, so we can be a testimony to glorify you and bring others into the kingdom, Lord. We're just so grateful that you got us here safely, Lord. Thank you for all your generous provisions that you provide each and every one of us each day, Lord, because everything comes from you, Lord. Help us never take for granted the things you give us, Lord, and let us use the things you give us, Lord, to glorify you and build your kingdom, Lord. Instead of serving ourselves, let us serve you, Father. Because you loved us, Lord. And we love you, Lord, as we learn about you, Lord. And become more like you. I pray for the people that can't be here tonight that they find other ways and means through our phone lines or through the internet service or the live feed. To listen and say what the Spirit is trying to say to the church tonight, Lord. And let everything we do tonight be led by your spirit and not our flesh. And it's in Jesus' mighty name I pray. Amen. 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 We're going to stand, worship the Lord. Brittany, Jasmine, and Deb are going to come up and lead us in the spirit. Page 16. Hey!
Great song. Oh God, how I need you. Every hour, every second, every minute. How's everybody doing tonight? Okay? It's good to see everybody tonight. This is the third night in a row we got. We call this the triple threat of the month. Where we get we do a Monday, we get the guys and the girls, which is a great time. The guys and the girls talk about issues in life and fellowship with each other and tonight we're here to study God's word I'll tell you it just gives me a great sense of security now that the days are getting darker that we can come together and gather amen so if you haven't been just come join us it's an awesome time fellowship fun love right it's all about love you got that right all right before we get started with our study I want us to go to Daniel chapter 4 awesome scripture up there I'm gonna have to go back and forth a little bit on this one Explain the context of King Nebuchadnezzar. Most people know King Nebuchadnezzar from the Bible. Um, although some people might not. But if you've read your Bible. Daniel is a book that a lot of believers have already read into. And Nebuchadnezzar was the king of Babylon. And um, he went out and he said, "This look what I've done. Look at this great nation that I've built. And God said, oh yeah, I think it was you. All right, go to verse 33. And we're going to see what God said. Just like, you know, there's a principle here that we're all going to apply, we can apply, and I'll explain that to you after I read the scripture, okay? Because the Bible comes at us, we read it, and then it has a spiritual application too, especially the Old Testament. Very, very relevant in our Christian walk. See, when you read the book as an unbeliever, it's just a book. But when you become a believer, now your spiritual eyes are open and you start to see the principles, the spiritual principles and all these literal things that happened in the Old Testament. It's an awesome thing when your eyes become opened. Verse 33, let's go there. That same hour, the judgment was fulfilled and Nebuchadnezzar was driven from human society. He ate grass like a cow and he was drenched with the dew of heaven. He lived this way until his hair was as long as eagle's feathers, and his nails were like bird's claws. So that had to be quite a long time. For your nails to become like a bird's claws, they have to be, you know, not cut for quite some time. Years. So we don't know exactly, but that's really not the point. The point is what he had to go through before he found God. Look what it says. Nebuchadnezzar praises God. Verse 34. After this time had passed, I, Nebuchadnezzar, looked up to heaven. He had nowhere else to look. My sanity returned, and I praised and worshipped the Most High, and honored the One who lives forever. His rule is everlasting, and His kingdom is eternal. After God got him and judged him and humbled him, he looked up and he really saw what was the gift. God gave him all the ability to do it. And he recognized it through his brokenness. You see, this is how most people find God, in their brokenness. Because when people aren't broken, they don't think that they need to be fixed or need a Savior. So you have to understand, when God breaks you, that's really a blessing. Because he takes you out of your humanness and says, I can't do this. And then he brings you to who? A savior that can help you through this. But first he's got to what? Show us that we can. And sometimes we have to go through some pain. Now look what it says. Look at verse 35. 
All the people of the earth are nothing compared to him. Listen to the way he sees God now. He didn't see him at all before. Now that he went through all that, he saw him clearly. Look. <laughs> nothing compared to him. Look. Look, he does as he pleases among the angels of heaven and among the people of earth. No one can stop him or say to him, what do you mean by doing these things? Boy, he got a great understanding of God, didn't he? But look what, look what he had to go through to get that understanding. And that's what a lot of us have to go through to get that understanding of God too. Now look what it says in verse 36. When my sanity returned, so God restored him to sanity. That's kind of like we do in step two. We came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. And of course we know what that power is. Our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. But first we have to say, am I insane? Yeah, you're insane thinking that you can control your behaviors. We can't control our sin nature. That's why it's insanity to think that we can. You know when that stuff starts coming out of your mouth and takes control of you? You can't control it. It's insane. We start doing the things over and over again that cause us pain and suffering. Then we say, I'm sorry after. So if you could control it, you would never do it in the first place. When my sanity returned to me, so did my honor and glory and kingdom. My advisors and nobles sought me out, and I was restored as head of my kingdom with even greater honor than before. Remember Jesus says, if you give your life to me, I'll give it back to you and even more. Yeah. And that's just what he did to him. He restored him and he gave him even more when he gave his life to him. Now look what it says. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and glorify and honor the king of heaven. What did it take for him to glorify and honor the king of heaven? Him becoming powerless and becoming like an animal before he would recognize and honor God. What does it take for you to honor and recognize God? Does it going to have to take some kind of brokenness? Or are you just going to say, hey, you know what? I'm going to learn from his mistake and say, you know what? I'm going to glorify and honor him while I still have everything. So God doesn't have to take it away to show me. We could learn from a lot of lessons from the Bible. Believe me, it all comes from him. Everything. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and glorify and honor the king of heaven. All his acts are just and true, and he is able to humble the proud. Isn't that awesome? He humbles the proud. Now he does it. Amen? And look what it says. All his acts are just and true, and he is able to humble the proud. What a great understanding of God he got after he got slain like that. I'll tell you, that same thing happened to me. That's the same understanding I have of God because I had to go down to the bottom, the very bottom, and look up and say, only God can restore me. After I extinguished every other possibility, my humanness, my ability to do this, my ability to do that, and it still all came up empty, then I finally looked up and said, only he can do it. First, we've got to extinguish all other possibilities. That's just the human nature. We try all kinds of things. Like behavior modification and willpower. I'm not going to do it. I'm not. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to say them. I'm not going to get angry today. The more you keep saying these things, the stronger they get and the more angry you get. They gain power over you. You cannot do it in willpower. See, that's why we have to give the control over to God. And the more control you go over him, he gives you what they call self-control. Where you no longer desire to do it. It's a difference. 
Willpower is not doing something you want to do. Self-control is a changed behavior, not doing it, not wanting it anymore. So even though you might commit, remember Paul said in Romans 7, I do the things I hate. Willpower makes you not do the things that you love. Only God can change the desire for you not to love it anymore and not to want it. See, we white knuckle and say, oh, I don't want that anymore. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, and that gains power. And then you tell everybody you're not going to do it. Then you go do it in secret. And now you even get more convicted because now you're a sneaky sinner. You tell everybody, oh, look at me, how good I am. And now you put this facade on. And then when you're alone, you do the very nasty things that you say, you tell people you don't. Can I get an amen for that? But when God gets hold of us, he gives us new desires. He changes us. He changes our desires. And he transforms our thought process. Okay, before we go to our study, I got a couple of scriptures for us, okay? God brought me to these today. I want us to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Verse 31. Because the Bible tells us that he's going to give us a new way of life. Not just a new life, a new way of life. A new way of what? Thinking, acting, speaking, everything becomes new. All things become new. He starts to transform us from the inside out. Changing our perception and our thought process and our wants and our desires. But that takes time. And if you don't renew your mind with God's word, the process never happens. And it takes a long time to get into that metamorphosis process. And we never end up coming out a butterfly because we don't use the power to break out of it. This is what changes us right here. It's the word of God. Nothing else. It's the word of God that saves us. It's the word of God that keeps us saved. And it's the word of God that changes us. It's all the word of God. It's not the church. It's not your religious activities. It's the word of God. This is just a place to teach the word of God. I teach the word of God to you. You go home and you, the Holy Spirit teaches you and I just help you move along. If there's any questions, I try to help you. The God gave me a gift to help to understand spiritual things. So that's what I'm here for, to help. Now it says, look at verse 31. What are you what 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 should you what are you desiring? Look what it says in 1 Corinthians 12, 31. And he says this at the last verse of chapter 12, and then we go to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, and we know what that scripture is all about, right? That's the love chapter. Now look what it says. You should earnestly desire the most helpful gifts, right? The gifts of the ministry, all the things, all the helps. But now let me show you a way of life that is best of all. What is the way of life? Love. God's love unconditionally towards you. Your love unconditionally towards yourself. Your love unconditionally towards God. And your love unconditionally towards others. That's what we should seek. That's the whole Bible. Love. The whole Bible is a book of love. And it's unconditional love. Love, we know what it says, and I'm not going to go there tonight, but we will again and refresh on it. You know, it keeps no record of being wrong. You know, you tell somebody you love them, you keep score of everything they do. Right? Is patient and kind. We get very impatient with our loved ones, right? And we get unkind to people we love the most. And so that's not God's love. God's love is unconditional. And that's what he's transformed us into through the process of renewing our minds. 
So how do I know that? All right, now go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. You see, it's either, it's one thing that's going to control you, either Christ's love or your flesh. Two things are going to control you, your flesh in the devil or Christ's love in Jesus. That's what's going to control us. Now we need to get a love of our selfishness into Christ's love, which is unconditional, 1 Corinthians 13. And that's the whole process of us learning and applying the word of God. Being able to love the unlovable. And to be able to love the people in your life without conditions on them. Making them do certain things. You know, if you don't do this, then I'm this, that. You know what I'm saying? We still do it, even though we're Christians. We put conditions on love for even ourselves. God calls us to love ourselves unconditionally and give us a lot of grace and mercy and room to grow. How many of us need room to grow right now? Because you know we're still stuck in ourselves in a lot of ways. We don't need a lot of people telling us that you need to grow. God knows. We already know we need to. Just put your life against God's word and you know. Now, look at verse 14 of 2 Corinthians 5. Are you with me so far? Yes. I'm going to get into this. This is going to be really good. God wrote this on my heart. He says, what do you mean a new way of life? A new way of life is a new way of life. It's not the old life anymore. All the things you used to do in the old life. And slowly God takes them away from you. God gave me a little bit of revelation. He said, John, since you can't take anything with you when you go there, why don't you let me take some of that now so you can live now and enjoy your life? Because that's the stuff that's holding you in bondage. And we, we, want, we still want the stuff that we want. The guy said, let me take some of that now, because that's the stuff that's holding you captive from really knowing me. He says, let me take some of it now. And he said that to me. He said, oh, really, Lord? Okay. Little by slow, he starts taking things. He starts taking things more and more of me, things that I want, and helping me to do more and more things that he wants. Because the things I want have no eternal value. You can't take none of that with you. You can only take what, not one life to live will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. The only, you leave nothing. All this, everything that you work and live for down here stays down here. Yeah. Everything you do for him comes with you. Amen. If we can only recognize that and say, you know what? I'm going to stop getting absorbed with all this stuff that, that has no meaning. And my last breath has nothing. It's going to do nothing for me. Somebody else is going to take it and squander it. Now look at verse 14. Is everybody there? Yes. Either way, the Paul, Apostle Paul was saying, Christ's love controls us or urges us on. Since we believe that Christ died for all, we believe that, right? We believe that Christ died for all, right? Now look what it says. We also believe that we have all died to our old life. Or died for all and then die. And then all died. Now look what it says in verse 15. He died for everyone so that those who receive his new life, he gives us new life, look what it says, will no longer live for themselves. Now this is the process of transformation. See, when you get transformed, you're not living for yourself anymore. When you wake up in the morning, you're living for God. Is a transformation. We are no longer living for ourselves. It says it right here. You see it. But instead they will live for Christ. Who died and was raised for them. Now Jesus said if you give me your life. I'll give you your life back. See most people won't take him. Put him to the test and say alright I'm going to put Jesus first. 
I'm going to put everything else to the side and put him first. And see if it all comes back. And you know what? Anything good will come back. Anything bad will not. Now look what it says. So, we have stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. What's a human point of view? Through our intellectual mind, knowledge. At one time, we thought of Christ merely from a human point of view. Remember, we thought of God as some judge that looked at us the wrong way. Or we pictured God, some guy, long hair, and we looked at him from a human point of view. But once you're born again, it says, now look what it says. It says, how differently we know him now. How do you know him any differently if you don't read his word? You won't know him any other. You have him the moment you believe, but you really don't know him or his ways or his character or how he's going to fulfill his work in your life, what he's going to do and the process he's going to do it with, which is through people, places, and things and events. Read the Old Testament. He works through events and things that happen in our lives to bring us to become like his kid, like Jesus. Now look what it says. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person or a new creation. The old life is gone. Yeah, we're no longer a dead sinner in Adam. We are now alive in Christ. But also, that means our old lifestyle is gone with it. And that's the process of coming to believe that. Giving him your, getting rid of your old ways and starting to what? Do things his ways. Like serve and do ministry and live for him. There's a transformation that takes place. And it's called the metamorphosis. We outgrow our sin nature. We cannot get rid of it ourselves. When we go into this metamorphosis process, we can't control how God's going to change us. See, once we get into this process, everyone's different. And God does it in different ways. And you can't get in the way of it. He's the one that does the transforming. And he's going to do it through circumstances and issues in your life. And you have nothing to do with it. And you can't change any other way. He's the only one. You don't get rid of it or use willpower to get rid of your own nature. You simply outgrow it and start leaving it behind. That's how it works. Can I get an amen for that? You cannot get rid of your sin nature. That's why we need a savior. The problem is our sin nature. Anger, greed, lust. All these things that are in our heart. Right? Jealousy. It's not talking about outward things. We're talking about the things in our heart that we're born into. You don't have to tell a kid how to do the wrong thing, do you? You could Jeremiah, right? The first thing he goes for is the plug. You let him go for one minute. Where does he go? Right for the things that are not good. He has to be taught to do right. It's the same thing with a believer. Once you become born again, you have to be taught how to do the right thing. It's like how to come to school again, school of life. You have to be taught how to do right because we're in the world system. The world system is not God's system. We don't think, act, or do things that way anymore. We think, act, and do things his way. And that calls for renewing our mind. The moment we become a believer, he gives us a new heart. But our mind has to get renewed. It has to get emptied of the things of the world. And that takes some time. And that's the process of sanctification. We get into this metamorphosis process. How long you stay there is in God. Look, God will do it. Whatever, however long it takes. And you might not ever find it here. You might have to wait to go home to be with him if you're proud and rebellious and stubborn. Now look what it says. This means, verse 17, that anyone belongs to Christ to become a new person. The old life is gone and a new life is a... What do you mean a new life? And all of this is a what? 
A gift. Thank you, Jesus. He's the one who gave us this gift. Now look, who brought us back to himself through Christ, and now look what God has done. Why did he save me? And God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. Is that, is, can it be any clearer what God wants us to do? He gave us a task after he saved us, and it's a gift to what? Bring people back to him. Is that so hard to understand? No, he saved you for that reason. So you can get other people into the kingdom. What do we do? We keep it for ourselves. And we don't give it. And we keep it and keep it and keep it. Or we get overzealous and beat people up with Jesus. Instead of letting the Holy Spirit first transform me into the image, and then I can actually portray Christ. I might not be able to talk about Jesus, but I can be like him. And that's what people will see. Christ like what? Behaviors and attitudes without even mentioning Jesus. You know, sometimes you'll talk to somebody and you'll think, man, they may be a Christian. The way they are. They're yeah. kind. And they're just so willing to yield. And looking out for someone else. You know. And, and they're just. You know. They're just wonderful people. And that doesn't mean that they're saved. But it just gives you an idea. Of what Christ would be like. Remember Jesus? He did all kinds of stuff. Like they killed. If you think about it. They killed him. What did he do? To get killed. He healed people. Right? And loved people. He loved the unlovable. He loved people, and they killed him for it. What do you think they're going to do to you when you show love down here? They're going to want to kill you and shut you up too. The world's in a bad way right now. But let me tell you something. This bad way could be a good way to bring someone to Jesus. If you handle things the right way and say, you know what? Now's the time to show light. Now's the time to show what I say I believe. Not hide it. To show it. To tell people that this is what I do. You know, people are afraid to tell people about Jesus because, oh, what are you, a Jesus freak? That's a compliment. <laughs> no, I'm a devil freak. What's that better? Yeah, people, people will accept that better. I'm a Satan freak. You can talk about Satan all you want out there. They love it. You mention Jesus, they start hissing at you. It's the truth. Why? Because Jesus is truth. And the world is infected with Satan. And every time somebody that has Satan in them hears about Jesus, don't tell me about that religious crap. That's just what they say. But that's the truth. That's why they do that. Because the truth hurts. And it sheds light on what they're doing in their darkness. Hey, look, I ain't afraid to tell anybody about Jesus. I don't go out and boast about it. But if, if there's an opening there, I will mention it. You know, what do you do? Well, I, I, you know, I go to Bible study and I, I try to help people. Oh, really? Yeah, that's what helps me. You don't have to tell them about, oh, Psalms, you're going to go to hell if you don't do this. And give them a fake dollar bill with a devil on it. So you're going to hell if you don't. You know, and people pass out these tracts and everything. And get people all freaked out. So not even Jesus. Jesus didn't pass all pamphlets. <laughs> he didn't give. He didn't try to trick you. Say, "Ooh, is that money?" No, that's your ticket to heaven. <laughs> and they try to trick people into the kingdom. And people say, "Get away from me with that! What are you crazy? Are you kidding me?" 
That's just a, that's just what I you know. Those born again believers, watch out for them. They're brainwashed. Well, really, that's what everybody needs, but nobody really understands that. Your brain does need to get washed. Washed of what? The ways of the world. And washed and renewed, washed with the water of the word. Amen. That's what it needs. That's what all our brains need. But we got the world trapped in us and our desires and our wants and our needs. And we want all these things. But I want to go to heaven too. I want all this. And I want to go see Jesus when I'm done. Nice and comfortable. <laughs> Let me tell you something about the way God works. When you accept God into your life, expect some uncomfortability, by the way. He's going to say, you know what? I'm sorry, but i got to kill you. <laughs> and that's what he says. You have to, in order for you to get born again, you have to die. So I'm going to show you what, that kind of hurts. The crucifixion process is kind of painful. Either you're going to go for it or you're going to go back into the world again. If you think you're going to get your best life now, you're in for a surprise, believer. You're not going to get it here because this isn't your permanent home. Our permanent home is with him in eternity. Reasonably happy here. Amen? We put unrealistic expectations on the way we should be down here. Amen? That's the whole reason why he saved us, so we can get other people into the kingdom. What did you want? Listen, the only way you're going to change somebody that's mean and nasty is letting them read God's word. That's the only thing that can change them. God's the only one that can get inside a human being, inside them, to transform them and put a switch on. You cannot turn the switch on someone. You can't even get it on yourself. You can't change. Try to change yourself. Go ahead. So all these behavior modification nonsense, that when you go right back to your old ways again. It's a st even if you want to say that, oh, all right, I want to I go on a diet. Yeah, you can only go on that diet for so long. Then you go, it's a change of life in order to stay healthy. It's not just not eating something. It's a whole lifestyle change. And that's how you stay that way. You don't say, I'm just going to eat, well, I'm going to eat grass, and then I'm going to eat salad, <laughs> and I'm just going to use vinegar every day, and then I'm going to stay in shape. Well, you can't live like that forever. Sooner or later, you're going to go on a cheeseburger. <laughs> People get crazy thinking that that's going to change them. No, the change has to come from the inside and your desire. You ask God to help you and he'll change you. He'll put, your, he'll put your appetites under the control of the spirit. You know when you get like a mini bike or a dirt bike or a lawnmower, they put a governor on it. A governor is like a control system so you can't over-rev the motor. Well, the Holy Spirit is our governor so we don't overdo things. See, when it's under the leading of the Holy Spirit, one is enough. You don't need ten. One is enough. And so then you say, you know what? Somebody else needs that ten that I want. So you're not just thinking of yourself anymore. You're thinking that somebody else might need some of that. And said, no, I want it all for myself. I'll even put some in the fridge for later. Instead of saying, guess what? If I give it to someone else, then the temptation is gone. I can't have it because it ain't there. You know it as well as I do. You put something in the refrigerator, so I'm not going to touch it. You wake up in the middle of the night and you're in the fridge sleepwalking, eating it. I know it for a fact because I do it. I can't control that. I can't control it. It controls me. What controls me? The thought process. Controls me. When I say I put it in and I'm not going to do it, and all it does is start gaining power. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. And all of a sudden I go do it. Because it's in my thought process now. Yeah, yeah. It gives birth to an action. Yeah, yeah. If 
Very simple principle that people just can't grasp. All right, let's go to um, <laughs> Titus now, all right? I, I digress. Now let's get, let's get into this. Maybe we can get started tonight, all right? Well, that was the Holy Spirit leading me to tell you these things. So this is how we work here. We let the Holy Spirit teach us, amen? Somebody needed to hear it, and I definitely did, and that's for sure. He says he's given me a new way of life, not just a new life. A new way of thinking, a new way of doing, a new way of acting, a new way of speaking. And I have to what? Learn them ways. I have to what? Learn them. All right, so we know we went to the book of Titus. We already read the first chapter. All right, we're gonna go, I'm going to go over the blueprint again, and we'll get started with chapter 2. The blueprint of Titus is the first um, chapter was about leadership in the church, okay? The second chapter is about right living in the church, okay? And the third one in chapter 3 is right living in society. That's what it talks about. Paul calls for church order and right living on an island known for laziness, gluttony, lying, and evil. I guess he must have landed in America. (laughs) Kind of sounds familiar, doesn't it? Let me say it again. An island known for laziness, gluttony, lying, and evil. Yep, pretty much talks about America right now. The Christians are to be self-disciplined as individuals and they must be orderly as people who form one body, the church. We need to obey this message in our day when discipline is not respected or rewarded by our society. Although others may not appreciate our efforts, we must live upright lives. Obey the government and control our speech, our tongue. Remember James? Controlling the tongue. What comes out of this mouth. We should live together peacefully in the church and be living examples of our faith to the contemporary society. Think any amen for that? Okay. The importance of that, it's not enough to be educated or to have a loyal following to be Christ's kind of leader. You must have self-control, spiritual and moral fitness, and Christian character. Who you are is just important as what you can do. Church relationships. Church teaching must relate to various groups. Older Christians were to teach and to be examples to younger men and women. We're going to get into this. right? People of every age group have a lesson to learn and a role to play. Importance. Right living and right relationships go along with right doctrine. Treat relationships with other believers as an outgrowth of your faith. Theme, citizenship, explanation. Christians must be good citizens in society, not just in church. Can I get an amen for that? Believers must obey the government and work honestly. The importance of that, how you fulfill your civic duties, is a witness to the watching world. Your community life should reflect Christ's love as much as your church life does. Can I get an amen for that? Your life outside the church should show Christ's love just as much as it does while you're sitting in here. Can I get an amen? Okay. Now we understand. Let's go to Titus chapter 2. Now he's going to talk about right living inside the church. Everybody's there? Mm-hmm. And look, everybody looks like they're paying attention. Yeah. This is awesome. 
That's because we make it interesting. If you're not, if the Bible's not interesting, you're gonna fall asleep. <laughs> Hopefully, I can keep you from falling asleep. Plus, my voice in itself is gonna help stop. <laughs> Believe me, if I start yelling, you'll know why. I've seen somebody close their eyes. Oh, hello. <laughs> see, I can see everybody. See, you can't. <laughs> okay. So you might, so you might hear a little bit. Oh, no. <laughs> You see somebody. All right. It's just human. It's just human need. Look, I don't get offended by it because I'm teaching God's word. If anything, you're not. You don't want to hear about God. If you fall asleep, that's not nothing to do with me. God calls me to tell you the word. It's up to you. All right. As for you, Titus, he's talking about promote right teaching, right living in the church. As for you, Titus, promote the kind of living that reflects wholesome teaching. Teach the older men to exercise self-control. So that's something that has to be exercised. You know, when you go to the gym and you exercise something, you have to exercise your muscles. You have to exercise self-control. You have to put self-control into practice. Now look what it says. To be worthy of respect and to live wisely. They must have sound faith and be filled with what? Love and patience. So the whole Bible is summed up as 1 Corinthians 13. That is a new life. 1 Corinthians 13. Love and patience. Love is what? What's the first thing it says? Love is patient and kind. It all fits together. Are you patient and kind? Not only when you're in church, are you patient and kind when you're out there? That's how you know where you are with God. It's nothing to be ashamed of. It's just to recognize that I ain't, just because I read the Bible doesn't mean anything. It, it's only what I use that really counts. You can memorize it from A to Z and then never apply any of it. So what good is it? You're better off letting this get inside you and not recognizing any of it, but letting it be part of you. Because that's what the Pharisees did. They knew the whole Bible, but they knew how to live any of it. They couldn't live any of it. They knew it. But they couldn't live it. That's because they were doing it in the mind, not the spirit. Yeah. You see? You, you, you can't live like God in the flesh. You have to live like God in the spirit. So our intellectual mind thinks God is a certain way when it's the spirit of God that guides us, not our mind. Right. Our mind is corrupt and evil. That's why it's going to get renewed. Yeah. All right. Did I come across all You get that now? They must look. He's talking about the older men in church. You see older men. To be what? Kind and patient. That's how you know they've been walking with the Lord for a long time. Because God humbles you and be, you become kind and patient. Because God is kind and patient with us. Think about how kind and patient Jesus is with you. Think about all the things you do that are not lined up with him. And he's just so kind and patient with us, right? Doesn't judge us. Doesn't do anything but love us unconditionally. And Jesus said... Go and do the same. Oof, that's a high call, isn't it? He says, well, I'm giving you my spirit so you can. Whether you want it or not is up to you. Now look what it says. They must have sound faith and be filled with love and patience. Similarly, teach the older women to live in a way that honors God. They must not slander others or be heavy drinkers. <laughs> 
Instead, instead of being a slanderer or a gossiper and a heavy drinker, they should teach others what is good. So how are you going to teach others what is good if you don't know this, what is good? First, you have to learn what is good, to teach others what is good. You get it? These older women, verse 4, see, everybody has a role in the church, and Titus is going to show us where. The older women must train the younger women to love their husbands and their children. Right? To live wisely and be pure. To work in their homes. To do good and to be submissive to their husbands. Uh-oh. We're talking about a Christian husband, by the way. A man of God husband. That's following the Lord. Then they will not bring, look it, look what it's saying. Then they will not bring shame on the word of God. You say it? You see it? That's what brings shame on the word of God. Your lifestyle and your behavior. That's what brings shame on it. It tells us then it won't. See it? Then they will not bring shame on the word of God. In the same way, encourage the young men to live wisely. And you yourself must be an example to them by doing good works of every kind. It's up to me to be an example. Let everything you do reflect the integrity and seriousness of your teaching. Teach the truth so that your teaching can't be criticized. See, when you stay in the Word of God, all the verses read down, you can't criticize it because it's the Word of God. You can't be criticizing what I'm teaching you because I'm not trying to get you all over the place. We're keeping it in its context, pure as it comes. It says it right here. So you can't be criticized. So if you're going to criticize what I'm saying, you're really criticizing God. Because I'm not saying anything that's not related to the Word of God. Then those who oppose us will be ashamed and have nothing bad to say about us. Slaves or employees now, there is no longer slaves, must always obey their masters or their employees and do their best to please them. Like you go to work for Jesus. They must not talk back or steal, but must show themselves to be entirely trustworthy and good. Then we'll, then listen, why would they have to do that? Look what it says. Then they will make the teaching about God our Savior attractive in every way. You see, your lifestyle and the way you carry yourself is what makes the attraction to people want to come. You see it? Look, they will make the teaching about God our Savior attractive in every way. For the grace of God has been revealed, bringing salvation to all people. And look at verse 12. And we are instructed to turn from godless living and sinful pleasures. We should live, here it is. Pay attention now, highlight this. How should I live while I'm not in church? We should live in this evil world with wisdom, righteousness, and devotion to God. While we look forward with hope to that wonderful day when the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ will be revealed. Amen? So, if, if you come up to me and say, well, how should I live when I'm not in church? It says it right here. Look, get your Bible. Go to 1 Timothy 2. How should I live today, God? I should live in this evil world today when I wake up with wisdom, 
from God's word, the righteousness that he gives me, and a devotion to God, while we look forward with hope to that wonderful day when our glory of our great Jesus comes back to us. Listen, we're waiting. Jesus is coming back. We can wait in glory for that. Why are we going to wait in glory? Because we're doing what he calls us to do while we're waiting. So when he comes back, you just can't wait to be with him. Instead, when he comes back, you hang your head low saying, no, I was doing my thing, Lord, I'm sorry. That's what he's saying. Look what it says. He gave his life. Now listen why he gave his life. Very clear and very simple. To free us from every kind of sin. See it? To cleanse us and to make his, his very own people totally committed to doing good deeds. So what do you mean? That my good deeds don't save me? No, but our good deeds reflect being saved. You don't not do good things. You do good things because you are saved, not to get saved. That's what shows people that you are. The Bible says you'll know my people by their fruit, by their actions. When somebody says, I'm not, like, we were talking about last night, about a fruit, is, we don't inspect the fruit. We look at the fruit and say, what, what is your life reflecting what you say that you believe? That's all. I'm not expecting what kind of fruit you have. <laughs> you know, I'm not saying, well, I got an avocado, but you got a peach. <laughs> I'm not inspecting it like that. We're just looking at the, what the Word of God says, that the way we're supposed to carry ourselves. And whether or not that I'm going to be near you or not. Because I don't want you to take away from what, you know, because bad company corrupts good character. If you don't look at the way somebody's living, acting, and doing, they can take you out of doing the right thing. So you have to look at it, how a Christian carries themselves. Just because somebody says they're a Christian doesn't mean that they are. Just because somebody they have Jesus doesn't mean that they do. You'll know my people by their fruit, by their actions, the way they carry themselves. Now it says, to cleanse us, totally committed to doing good, you must teach these things and encourage the believers to do them. So God calls me to teach this stuff to you. See it? Look what it says. And it also tells you that I have the authority to correct you when necessary. You see it? It's called spiritual authority. So don't let anyone disregard what you say. Amen? Because it's not, you're not, it's not what I say. It's what the Word of God says. You get it? What I'm saying to you is the very words of God. And the way I'm going to talk to you is through the words of God. So you have to respect that. Because it's God is using me to get that word to you. Amen? And He happened to give me that authority to do it. And you know me, I'm not no harsh taskmaster. I love everybody. But let me tell you something. If it's going to do something that's going to harm the church or other people, it's on with me. I ain't going to let it happen. A little leaven leaven the whole lump. You let a little bit of that in here, you get infected. People, that's what's wrong with churches now. They let the sin in the church, right? And everybody's doing all these evil things in church, saying they love Jesus like they did in the Old Testament. Your, your, your worship is a farce. You come to worship me in the temple, but your heart is far from me. They were doing all their dark, nasty stuff, then going and say, we worship God. It doesn't work that way, even as a, new, as a believer. It doesn't work that way. Amen? Amen. All right, we're out of time. Oh, wow. So we just finished chapter 2. Yep, but don't worry, there's more to come. <laughs> Believe me, there's a lot more to come. And we'll expand a little bit more on chapter 2 when we get together again, okay? But I think time is sufficient, right? 
We had a good time. We learned something. You start losing people after a amount of time. So we want to keep, keep it fresh. Amen? All right. So we're going to close. The girls are going to come back up. Brittany, Deb, and Jasmine. And we're going to close. We're going to stand and worship the Lord and close in prayer.
Bobby, you want to close this in prayer tonight? Thank you. Thank you. Bob, I ask you question, please. Oh, merciful, loving God, thank you for this day in our lives, Heavenly Father. Thank you for this place you've given us to hear your word. And we praise and honor and glorify you, Heavenly Father. And Heavenly Father, what we learned tonight, let it go deep into our soul and let us use it in the outside world, Heavenly Father. Yes, Lord. And Heavenly Father, give us the strength to endure, yes, Heavenly Father. Because I don't, I don't know about my other fellow Christians, but boy, the world's really beating me up. Amen. And Heavenly Father, I want to thank uh, Pastor John for the word he gives us. And Heavenly Father, thank you for this place we have to hear your word. Thank you for our love. And Heavenly Father, take care of all the Christians across this great world you've given us, Heavenly Father. And Heavenly Father, look over this great nation you've given us, Heavenly Father. Yes, Lord. Hold your hand over it, Heavenly Father. Please, Protect us, Heavenly Father. Yes, Lord. And let the leaders of this country turn around and work for us, not for themselves, Heavenly yes, Father. Yes. Heavenly Father, till we meet again, give us travel and spiritually, Heavenly Father, and keep us safe and give us your peace, yes, which Lord. is the true and living peace. Amen. And Heavenly Father, Thank you. Thank you for sending your son to the cross and dying yes, for our sins. Amen. Thank and you, And we Lord. pray these things. And all the church say? Amen. 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 Thanks, Bobby. All right. Thanks, everybody. Have a great night until we meet again. God bless. Peace. Peace. Peace.